you know, Joe and I were talking last week about how we kind of brought up again the idea of like feeling as though you're not being reached out to. Mm-hmm. And I've been feeling that more heavily than ever. So it was weird, like for like a week or so, I was um, just like really paranoid that I wasn't in Kate's favor anymore. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, she's not reaching out that much. She just went back to work. She's doing great, but she, it's a lot of readjustment. And like those expectations were managed. Mm. But I kind of immediately went back to my where is it, where is everybody yeah. mindset. And I'm like, no one's calling me. No one's reaching out to me. My own girlfriend isn't reaching out to me. What the fuck's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so like Joe and I were talking about that on this um, Friday Night Folk episode we did remotely. And uh, I was listening back and like editing it and stuff. And I was like, oh, I said it, but I didn't actually think about it. <laughs> <laughs> like oh i'm back in that place again and i was like all right i gotta think about it okay 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 and then i just like reached out to kate and said like hey i've i've been in this let kate readjust to work mode but like how are you starting to feel about seeing each other during the week again because we were only seeing each other on weekends while she was getting really reacclimated yeah and she was like yeah i think i can handle that and i was like all right so it's just me it's just my paranoia it's just like my insecurity acting up. And especially during a pandemic, it's like the people that I can't see, I at least want to hear from. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, what a mind fuck this whole thing has been. Yeah. It's tough though, too, because that stuff, you can't really help what you pick up in that way. I mean, that those kinds of patterns of thought, like they just happen as a result of stuff a lot of times. So, yeah. It's, I think you handled it really well, though. Like that's what you should do is just kind of address it as soon as you're realizing, oh, this is kind of going on. Just try to bring it up as organically as you can. Yeah. Like you're not powerless against other people's inattention to you. Yeah. And a lot of the time it's not even inattention. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's valid to like to feel that anxiety. I think it's just that middle ground is so crucial because a lot of times people operate on those two poles on either side and uh they either kind of become a shut-in or they become very very clingy and both are kind of unhealthy and it's like when you can just have that kind of aha moment and that conversation that's that's huge and rare it's very rare it is i don't know and it's so strange like i i talk to people about this but like it never really seems to help <laughs> It's not like I'm trying to put pressure on other people like, hey, you need to call me more. Yeah. I guess I am trying to just like be honest about it and manage my own expectations by saying it out loud. Mm. But it never really stops me from thinking it later. Yeah. And I just had that moment of realization like, oh, I've reverted to an old pattern. That's what this is. It's not that anything is wrong. It's just this is how I think when I'm not thinking in a healthy way. Yeah. It's tough to catch it though, man. I mean, it's that shit'll sneak up on you. I got a lot of guilt I find about like just the way old relationships have been, and a lot of my formative ones. I've thought that that's what relationships were, and it's really not how they are. It turns out, but it's there's a lot of just ways that I I'm catching myself nowadays interacting that I'm like, oh wow, that's just that's just guilt. Like no one's actually holding me accountable for this or that or like taking 10 minutes to respond because I got sucked into a conversation while I was responding to that person. Like people don't get mad about that every time. 
but I have gone out with people where that would be a blow you know, that would be like, they'd get really pissed at me for like not responding immediately or something. And I internalized all that shit. That's seriously just what I thought it was to be in a relationship. I always thought people were insane for being in them. I was like, why in hell would you want this? Why would you do this to yourself for like your life, you know, for like marriage? And then I was actually talking to like Trevor, I think, and he was explaining to me that that's not at all what it is. And uh, in fact, it's extremely different than that. And yeah, uh, I, it was like a serious like light bulb moment. I never, I felt like such an idiot because I was like, oh yeah, like this makes way more sense than just you've got an antagonist creeping around your life all the time. But and it's, mine weren't bad, bad. It was just stuff like that. Like it was just the mo mode of communication was kind of off. Like they were good people. But it was just that kind of pressure I found to be very crushing after a while. And it was confusing. I don't know when I internalized that is the thing. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I had super healthy relationships mm -hmm. when I was younger. I guess I learned somewhere along the way to not trust. Because, like, before I started dating Kate, the most serious relationship I had been in was when I was, like, 18 years old. Mm that girl left me for someone else. Like there was no gap. But even before that in our relationship, like I would get really paranoid and this was pre-texting, thank God. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't pre-texting, but it was before she or I had a cell phone. So, mm. but like during that relationship, like the reason that it started to fall apart was that I started to get really paranoid. And I think that had a lot to do with me like being 18 and trying to be an adult and not knowing how to be an adult and feeling kind of insecure. And I was taking a year off between high school and college. So it was like this weird sort of, uh, I was, I was supposed to be going head first into this is what adulthood is, but I could never stop myself thinking like, even if whatever I do right now is what adulthood is supposed to be, it's temporary because then I'm going to school. Yeah. <laughs> so like all of my friends were starting to do like landscaping jobs and some blue collar stuff and getting into manly things. And I was like, literally all I want to do right now is work at a bookstore and then go be an English major and keep working at a bookstore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was this feeling of insecurity, like, Am I thinking that I'm better than the people who are taking on the blue collar stuff right now? Am mm -hmm. I thinking that I'll never have to participate in this world? And am I being looked down upon for that? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I was a very different person with very little confidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really tough, it's kind of a tough age to be confronting the world anyway. Like that's just such a formative couple of years right there but it's also i went through a similar thing i mean it's it's really kind of a there's very little validation i found from the outside world in the ways that you kind of perceive your peers as getting that validation and mm. when it does come it comes in such strange fleeting ways <laughs> that it's just like like i didn't totally get that about what school was or what like careers were until i dropped out for a while and I started to understand that like, this is more about everybody understands your social set. Like they get where, what box you go into and therefore you start to get what box you go into and you just try to stay in that box forever. And I never understood the, maybe even the virtue to that, I guess, but I was thinking more just the point of that, like 
it was lost lost on me at that age because it was just I wanted to kind of take on the world and stuff and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but I felt a very similar thing where like once I dropped out I was thrust into this like well you're not gonna do this so you better be a man and I was not a man <laughs> you know I was just like same shit I was I wanted to write I wanted to read I wanted to be around people who did those things but I just didn't want to go to school I just didn't want to be in that like kind of rigid institutional environment I wanted to go like see the world and it's it's hard, man. Like this, yeah, no one really <laughs> pats you on the back when you make that choice. So yeah, you get, I think you just start to pick up insecurities all over the place because they make sense when you're in that mode. So what I was getting at was that I don't really know where I picked up on the paranoia because I had no reason to fear being left in a relationship. Yeah. I think I only had a reason to fear that like my social identity or career identity wasn't being fully realized and therefore... I wasn't somebody worth being with. Mm. Maybe subconsciously, I just knew that I was being kind of a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, not not sure how these things form. I wonder if they're more common than they seem. Because, I mean, I've known people where it, this is pretty pronounced, and then people where they definitely think the thought, but it doesn't become a trait necessarily. It's just kind of something that they think, and then there's a whole spectrum in between that, but... Stuff like that seems like it could even be like an evolutionary thing. Like we're just kind of hardwired to not want to be cast away. Yeah. Because it was dangerous at one point. Yeah. Or like there's an evolutionary benefit to being needed. Yeah. And therefore being reached out to feels the same as being called upon to serve a vital role in a tribe, you know? Yeah, totally. God, you'd think some of that stuff would have just melted away at this point in our progression but nope here we are <laughs> here we are <laughs> we're doing great we'll get dude. there it's so funny did you <laughs> I, I don't know if you've checked out spiral dynamics yet but that this is like textbook spiral dynamics the idea of the spiral is basically it's different colors so you start at beige and mm. beige is like um, just pure survival, okay. no tribe, yeah, no social values, no anything, just pure survival, basic level. Mm. And so the spiral follows the evolution of the human brain, essentially, and what it has the capacity for. Okay. But you look at it in not just an evolutionary thing, but also like the different Jenga pieces that are stacked in... <laughs> in your own brain and like which one is is active so i know the first one is beige the second color is something maybe green okay uh that's like that's when tribal values come into play and the next color is when more individualist values come in like things that you value for your personality and not just your survival okay and then the next one is like spirit comes into play and the next one is like whatever. So it's all these like evolutionary stages of the human brain, you know, starting mm. with just all amygdala stuff mm. and then finally ending with something. The reason it's called a spiral is because it's considered cyclical. So it's considered that like there will eventually be a doubling back to the beginning and then it's a reassessment of survival or reassessment of tribe or reassessment of and so mm -hmm. on and so on um, 
So it's really, it's, it's fascinating, but like, it helps you understand that certain decisions that you make or certain fears that you have, certain anxieties that you have are from a certain color of the spiral. Okay. And they're not necessarily from your most evolved place. Like, so a fear that you have about being left out isn't something that you are feeling with your neocortex. It's something you're feeling in a smaller uh, like less evolved part of the brain. Oh, I like that. You know, yeah. yeah. That's cool. So like your most analytical and most tuned in, most conscious part of your brain is usually not what is feeling the fear, <laughs> is usually not what is feeling the insecurity. You know, it's it's typically coming from either, you know, could be trauma, but also a part of you that is just older. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it makes a lot of sense too because you would you would naturally kind of redefine some of those things that you took as just being and as normal when you learn certain amounts of new things. Like it just has to trickle down to some extent. So, but also, you know, when you learn about it, what you'll learn is that it's not a personal evolution. Like you don't see the spiral and say like, "Oh yeah, I'm at the blue stage right now." Yeah. You know, it's not how you evolve personally but you can read it and go like well when i was this age this is the part of my brain that was probably the most active Mm. you know it so you read the spiral as it's all in me at all times of my life like because this is what the human brain has advanced to right but as you do move through life you access those different parts in different ways. Yeah. So when I was talking to my therapist last week about inner child stuff, I was like, yeah, it's interesting to see, it it would be interesting to see like, like what stage of the spiral that version of me was most in tune with. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I always, it seems kind of like it echoes some of the Maslow stuff, right? Like the pyramid of needs kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of. But just in a more, more internal way. Yeah, a little bit. And it was different, it, different premise too, but... But it's the pyramid of modern needs also. Mm-hmm. So necessarily modern because... And like it actually says on the chart, beige is as old as hominids, you know? Mm-hmm. And then like the newest color in the spiral is only as old as, as 300 years or so. It's like was introduced in the 18th century. Mm. was when this like latest part of the spiral was and it's because we had other needs taken care of for us yeah you know it's because we didn't have to farm anymore because we didn't have to hunt for our own food anymore because there were markets and because there were police forces you know like there are other elements of society that we didn't have to be in charge of on our own for our own safety and survival yeah so as different societal roles get more clearly defined, we're able to advance and evolve and have a higher capacity for thinking rather than just having a capacity for survival and wondering. Do you think there'll be more colors then in the future? I would imagine so if this theory kind of stays its pace. Yeah. It, it, you know, that's the funny thing about it is that like it, it's so new if spiral theory is still a thing in in 500 years then yeah there'll be another color <laughs> but like there would have to be another observable advance 
yeah. um, an observable like growth, observable capacity growth in order for them to add another color. God, that'd be cool though. I can't even imagine what the hell it would be, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it seems possible. Like we have been so far thrown off base by just the information age and stuff, like just the way that we've changed as a as a group. It's like the human experience is kind of, it's the same at its core, but it's so different now compared to what it would have been even 50 years ago. So, I mean, it's really, it seems possible to me at least that, I don't know how long it would take, but at some point in the future that we will have developed some new value that we consider important or, I don't know, some new skill or some new, I don't just some new component of ourselves might become apparent to us that we don't have right now. Well, it's interesting what it implies, too, because what it implies is that, like, because these things are stacked, like, one of the things that hurts our society the most right now, or I should say still, is the tribal component yeah. of our brain, of our of our unconscious thinking. And so even if there were a new color added that, say, seemed to conflict with tribal instincts, yeah, the tribal instinct... Is still there. Yeah. It's still built in. Like it's, it still yeah. is an instinct. But then, like, you kind of add in a <laughs> whatever becomes like the next thing after the <laughs> neocortex <laughs> that has something that, <laughs> that fights with the tribal instinct because it, it sees like, okay, the way to survive in society is not to have a tribal instinct because then people get canceled or then yeah. people like, it causes more conflict than can exist in the world peacefully. But then is it possible to have a society without a tribal instinct? Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It's like, it seems like there's so many things that we put up with, which are kind of requisite characteristics of a society, but we put up with them because there's kind of that evolutionary gun to our heads and it's like, we might not put up with them otherwise, and then we might not have a fully f fleshed out society otherwise. Because there's definitely, even in cases of things like jobs, there's definitely jobs that if nobody had to do them, we wouldn't do them. We wouldn't have those things. And it's that sense of purpose that keeps people going and that feeling of like, I'm, I'm doing my part, my mark will be made. And like, Christ, if that went away, yeah. Thank you.